Hello, and welcome back to the Littlest Petcast. I am your host, James, and today we are looking at the episode Eight Arms to Hold You. Let's let's just begin. Let's just go headfirst into this. So Blythe is talking to Russell while she is restocking Littlest Pet Shop. And, you know, just doing her job that she has at 13. I think it's more on goodwill than it is like an actual, actual job. Oh, no. Now I'm suddenly confused by this. Because, like, if she's actually 13, I guess her dad would have to sign off on this being okay to work. And really, it's more like a helping a neighbor thing, kind of. Except you get paid, I imagine. Wow, I'm already caught up on this. It's probably because I don't want to get into what's uh, what's next. But, but, but we gotta. But still, I have to wonder how this works now. Um, yeah, I guess. She would have to get permission from her dad. So I already solved it. Wow. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Okay. uh, So they are both excited for Friday. And that would be tomorrow because it's Thursday where they are. That's... Okay, I really should stop reading this like a script exactly just just view these as bullet points because that was just weirdly worded so Russell is excited because it's his first overnight stay at Littlest Pet Shop because his owner is out of town and uh I thought he had two owners like there were a couple I might be confusing things or they might have just forgotten in a later season. I'm... You can really tell I'm not looking forward to the next few seconds of this episode, at least. Because I am delaying it like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> Although, no, that's actually the opposite. Doing something like there's no tomorrow means like... Well, no, that... That that actually makes sense, because if I'm delaying it like there's no tomorrow, then uh, if I delay it long enough, tomorrow won't show up, and I don't have to talk about this. But I know tomorrow comes. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, so, let's, let's actually get into this for real this time. So, Blythe has a surprise for Russell, which Russell is intrigued by. So, because she knew about Russell's overnight stay, and she already got the okay from both her dad and Mrs. Twombly, like she did with getting a job here, she says she's going to bunk with Russell for his sleepover. Oh, and then Russell is... Very, very excited about this. Just him, alone with Blythe. And yes, we are getting into it. Yes, this is the topic I did not want to discuss. But, like, uh, we're, we're at the point in this episode. We're not even a minute into this episode. And we're already discussing, uh... The the fact that Russell might have a thing for Blythe. Which, oh boy. Yeah, okay. I mean, to be... Actually, yeah, to be perfectly honest. Like, aside from the blatantness of this, there's not... A lot of evidence here. It's more evidence on evidence on evidence. And this one's like really big. Like like the rest of the evidence is like the outer rings 
And this piece of evidence is like the big target ring, the, the bullseye, if you will. But, like, the bullseye doesn't stand on its own. Like, this only works if you consider everything else. And thanks to my good friend, Jean, I, I, I have to consider it because I can, I can totally see where they're coming from with this. But... I don't want to agree with this. Because it's just weird. Okay? Okay. So... Russell uh, is super excited for this. And he imagines... Like some of the things that are going to be at the... Sleepover. With Blythe alone. Uh, some of those things that are going to be there in bright neon lights. There's going to be pizza and movies and popcorn, which, according to him, everyone likes. And then Russell's favorite, mushroom and grass yogurt with roots at the bottom. Uh, um, you know what? No, that one just... That one just speaks for itself. I don't I don't think I need to say anything else on top of that. That was you know, that's just let's just leave that weirdness be. So uh then Blythe slips and falls and Russell goes to check on her. It almost feels like Jean is like coming around my left shoulder. To like blast an air horn in my face and tell me, I told you so. What? 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 Okay. <laughs> but like, ah, uh, it, I, I just can't shake this. Like, as much as I want to deny it, I can't deny that evidence is there for it but we must move on so Blythe gets up and says she's fine but wonders why there's a puddle and a bottle of fish food in like the middle of the store uh, Blythe thinks it's suspicious and Russell says it's fishy which he laughs at, but Blythe isn't having it. And then he stops laughing and kind of agrees <laughs> nervously. So then uh, a little later, uh, Russell is packing his pet bed and measuring it when it's rolled up. He says, could be better, and then uh, opens it up again. Meanwhile, Sunil and Vinny are playing catch in the foreground while Russell starts packing. And then Vinny runs into Russell and just bumps him away. Uh, Vinny asks what Russell is doing, and Russell says, I'm pre-packing. Vinny and Sunil are confused, so they wonder why he's pre-packing. And Russell says uh, he's uh, packing for the slumber party he's having here tomorrow night with Blythe. And he says it's going to be the best thing ever. Okay, got to push on. Russell then goes into a fantasy. I'm just now realizing there are... A good number of fantasies in this episode that we'll get to later, but let's go into this fantasy. Oh boy. So he goes into a fantasy of what the slumber party is going to be like. And uh, he describes it as they'll make red, yellow, and blue popcorn. How? Like... I I guess popcorn is 
yellow if you put butter on it. So maybe it's like a like a different kind of seasoning, I guess, or dyeing. There's dyed popcorn. But you don't usually make that in the microwave. Because I think all the dye would melt off. But uh, this popcorn, they're going to be using it as a pizza topping. And they'll put on their PJs. And they have matching PJs in this fantasy. Oh boy. Oh boy. There's, there's Gene again. The, the Gene alarm is sounding in my head. It is like, he likes her, he likes her. I'm starting to believe that might be true. Which is, which is weird. So they, they have a pillow fight. Okay, this, this, this section is really hard to get through with like, Gian invading my mind palace. Uh, I'm sorry for name dropping you so much this episode. It's just that you don't really have a big internet presence anywhere where people would want to try to contact you. So, I'm just going to keep doing it. Uh, Okay. So, then they have a balloon animal making contest, which goes into them making life-sized horse balloon animals and jousting with them. And Blythe wins jousting? Uh, is that because Russell thinks that uh, he could lose at jousting? Or is he letting Blythe win in this fantasy? Where he is alone with her in matching pajamas. Oh, God. Uh, uh, this is... This is this is kind of weird saying out loud. <laughs> okay. So then they watch only the funniest of movies until the sun comes up. Russell says it will be the best time held by anyone at Littlest Pet Shop. And Vinny and Sunil are awestruck at this. Their jaws have dropped. Their eyes have widened. And then R- Russell just casually starts pre-packing again. And then uh, Vinny and Sunil stay calm for a second, but they desperately want to go and yell it to each other, and then they hug quickly, but then they break from the hug and try to play it off as like, oh, I don't see anything, nothing, nothing here, nothing here. So, as long as we're on the topic of shipping, there are people who do ship Sunil and Vinny, and I feel like them trying to play off their hug was like a way to undermine that a bit. Which, it's not the best way to undermine that, you know? It, it kind of discourages that kind of behavior between friends. Like, which, like, shouldn't be discouraged. I mean, like... If your friends want to hug, they should hug. I mean, I know Gene doesn't usually like hugging, so I don't hug him. But you know what? Maybe I'll give him a good hug just to pay him back for all of this weirdness and confusion. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So, we cut to the next scene, and then we see Russell at his calendar in the Littlest Pet Shop using a a cutout X to X off calendar dates, where, like, he puts the X with a little thing over it and then paints over it so that the X looks the same on each date and I kind of get 
that it's kind of an OCD thing where it has to be right. And I guess this is the easiest way to make it right. But what I'm actually confused by is how Russell marks his dates. Uh, there are two sets of logic in play where like, like, okay, what I think you're supposed to do if you mark off your calendars is that you're supposed to put an X through the day you're on, which if Russell is doing that means Russell gets a calendar where the week begins on Monday. But if he doesn't do that and instead crosses out the previous day, the next day, then he has a standard calendar. And I'm not sure which one is weirder because like, like it just makes sense to cross out the day you're on because that's like the day you're on. You're marking that day. You're not marking that a day has been completed. You're marking the day you're on. Just, just do that. It makes no sense. Makes no sense to me why you would mark it off the next day. Makes no sense. Okay, that's that's my OCD talking. That's this. Okay, here's the thing about OCD. Is that when your OCD rules aren't being followed, it feels like the entire world is incorrect. It feels like there is no world. Black is white, up is down, and short is long. And everything you thought was so important doesn't really matter. But, uh, uh, I butchered that, even though I shouldn't have. Because that is a great song. <laughs> that is a great song, and this is a rambly, rambly mess of an episode. But, you know, I hope you enjoy it. Back to the show. So, Russell pulls out two sets of pajamas, which don't match the footy pajamas he had in the... Um, fantasy he had earlier which like why would you not why would you imagine you in a pair of pajamas that you you wouldn't have that took a while to get out And then he asks Blythe which set of pajamas is better. Uh, Blythe asks Russell to hold on as she found more empty fish food canisters and some chewed up fish toys and wants to tell Mrs. Twombly. So when uh, Twombly is informed, she jokingly suggests the idea uh, that there's a ghost haunting the littlest pet shop. Blythe and Mrs. Trombley laugh over that, but Russell is super scared. <laughs> so then we cut to Vinny and Sunil in the play area, planning how to get into the slumber party. Sunil is wondering how to get an invitation this late into the game, but Vinny says that they need to crash the party. That's the only way to get into this party, because it's a good party. And then Vinny has a plan. So, his plan is to sneak out of their apartments, which are also located in the Littlest Pet Shop building, and uh, meet in the halls at uh, 700 hours, and uh, break in and crash the party. Now, Sunil says, there are a lot of missing details in this plan. But Vinny brushes it off like, oh, details, who needs those? So then Sunil asks, what does 700 hours mean? Vinny says he heard it in a movie and thinks it should just be part of every plan. 
And uh, Sunil agrees with that logic, and then he asks what rendezvous means. And Vinny again is confused, because Vinny said rendezvous in his earlier plan. But again, he doesn't know what it means. So then back to uh, Blythe and Russell, where Blythe asks what's up with Russell's sudden fearful state. Russell says he has a fear of ghosts. Which I can kind of dig the irony. Or is it irony? Maybe it is irony. Because like, it's like Russell who's supposed to be the logical one and the rational one. And he has a very irrational fear of ghosts. Which is delightful in its own right. So, um... Blythe promises Russell that there are absolutely no ghosts in the pet shop and this calms Russell for a little bit but Mrs. Tomley gets on the intercom okay I have a question about this so Littlest Pet Shop is basically three rooms plus bathrooms I'd imagine hopefully there's the the shop part, the uh, play area, and Mrs. Tomley's room, and I guess the storage. So four rooms, but still, I don't see the need for an intercom, especially because it's small, it's little, it, you if you will. Although I've been over this before. Why is it the littlest pet shop? Is it because they have the littlest pets? Or is it because the shop itself is little? It appears to be that the shop is little. But all of the pets are also little. I don't get it. Okay. And I don't get why she has an intercom for such a small building. Like you would think that. They could just come over and talk. And then uh, Tom Lee says that there's some seaweed on the ground. And then suggests the seaweed might be ghostly ectoplasm. Which scares Russell more and exacerbates Blythe a little bit. So then later that night... Uh, Mrs. Twombly is closing the shop and leaving to play a Mahjong game with some of her friends. Because of course she is. I, 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 I totally buy it. She asks Blythe to take care of everything on the list while Blythe is staying here. And Blythe says she has it under control. She does this with the acronym running gag. And Mrs. Tromley replies with one of her own and then comments on the nature of the joke, which is kind of why the running gag doesn't work exactly. So she says it takes longer to explain these silly abbreviations than it does to just say what they were originally planning on saying. That's not how this works. They work on generally everyone knowing the context of it. It's like if you said a word and then had to explain what that word is. But for shortened words, for acronyms or abbreviations, like when one uh, person types lol on the internet, most people know that means it's funny. Like, th this, this doesn't work when you keep making acronyms like this and, uh, and then having to explain them. That's, that's not the nature of communication. Communication is to get an idea across as best as possible and this isn't it and even though like 
oh, teens use lol or rawful or whatever. Uh, like, it, it shouldn't bleed into this, because this, uh, this is kind of dumb. This is why this is dumb. So, Blythe goes in and checks on Russell to see what he's found looking up ghosts and stuff on the internet. And Russell says that all of the stuff he found looks pretty bogus, to be perfectly honest. Except for one about uh, this pink Lovecraftian creature that feeds on hedgehogs. Blythe implores him to think rationally and that it only scares him because it mentions hedgehogs. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I came across this uh, leaping logic here. So, this is true. It mentions it eats hedgehogs. What? What is this mean though uh, and like like a spooky story you send on the internet is meant to spook the reader and in order to spook the reader you gotta place the victim role in their shoes but like if the hedgehog is in the victim role of this story. Does that mean hedgehogs can read creepypasta in this universe? Like, Russell's already looking stuff up online with a laptop. With presumably his own laptop. Why does he have a laptop? Oh goodness gracious me. Why does he have a laptop? Like, I mean, to be fair, maybe a creepy pot that creepypasta is meant to scare people with hedgehogs, but the fact that Russell has a laptop kind of undermines that. Just a little bit. It's it's weird. So they can watch TV, they can act, they can read creepypasta, they can kind of, like, communicate, they can have human hair and human-style jobs. These animals are a lot more sentient than I thought. <laughs> this is, this is amazing. This is amazing. So then uh, Russell starts believing that it's silly and that Blythe is right. It's only freaky because it mentions hedgehogs. But he's still freaked out because it mentions hedgehogs. <laughs> and then Blythe starts unpacking and shows Russell her glow stick necklace and turns the lights off to, you know, fully display it. Russell is impressed with it, but then gets scared again and has Blythe turn the lights on again. So Blythe gives Russell uh, his own glow stick necklace and Russell thinks he can use that to ward off ghosts. So uh, Blythe unpacks some more and pulls out a board game. Uh, my first formal dance. Russell thinks it's a bit girly, but Blythe insists it's fun and had a lot of fun playing it with some of her other friends before she moved away. Just just a small reminder, Blythe's life is a little bit sad. Uh, Russell takes a look at the rules and then uh, like he looks at the simplified rules, which... I don't know, might not be too helpful because, I don't know, there seems to be a lot of rules and a lot of systems going on. But basically, each turn the player collects points at their first formal dance. At the end of the game, first place gets a crown, uh, second place gets a scepter, and third place gets a sparkly hair scrunchie. 
which the game says one size fits all, but Russell disagrees with that and the rules in general. So he decides to homebrew this game. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sunil sneaks out of his apartment and is very nervous. He tries to get Vinny's attention by going psst. But Vinny just leaves from the top window and drops onto Sunil. Sunil says he was signaling him, but Vinny thought he was calling a snake. This is why details matter, Vinny. And you're going to learn that lesson again and again tonight. So uh, they go into an alley, and Vinny says that this is his element. And Sunil comes back with, you mean you're garbage? And Vinny's like, wow, rude. Actually, he says, how dare you? I just remember that, but... That's neither here nor there. Anyway, Vinny says that this is the place where he can perform all of the stunts he sees in action and spy movies. So he ties a rope onto a pipe on the ground and uh, they climb a telephone pole. They throw the rope over the wire and Vinny explains that they're going to swing on it, get to the window, pull it down, pull the top part of the window down, and get in. So Neil's a little concerned about this plan. But Vinny puts on some sunglasses at night and says it's for the coolness factor. So they swing and instead of doing what they said, the pipe actually gets pulled up while they fall to the ground and the pipe hits a transformer which causes a district-wide blackout at least. Who is in charge of electricity in the city where, like, like a big old transformer knocks out the power for a large amount of people? Although this is a city of two million, maybe it's just a really compact area. Like, I guess that would have to be the case, because, like, a lot of people lose electricity in this scene. And we see some people lose electricity and get bugged out. And we also see a pretty funny scene in which uh, the Biscuits' house loses power. But because they're, again, texting from a few feet away, for shame, uh, they don't mind because they're still just paying attention to their phones. So... Russell is freaking out because the power's out, but Blaze says the emergency generator should kick in any time, which it does. So Blaze goes to check on the circuit breaker while Russell is afraid of being alone. He imagines himself trapped in a hallway and wondering what's going on. All of the hallway doors open up, and Russell spinballs to close all of the doors. But when he closes them, the pink Lovecraft monster comes up and engages Russell in a Scooby-Doo style chase where it, it does like the door halls thing. They do like the suit of armor, the like hiding in a painting. They do pretty much anything you can conceive of that a Scooby-Doo episode had. And, you know, it's, it's a nice uh, homage. It's a nice send-up to that. Well, I think Scooby-Doo might be doing it better, this is a noble attempt, if you will. So, uh... After the Scooby-Doo chase, though, uh, the monster gets Russell in his imagination, and when we cut back to reality, Russell's bed is on top of him, and he just passes out from fear. So Blythe checks the circuits and finds none of them tripped. She resets them just to be sure, but uh, the power doesn't come back on, so she concludes that it's a power outage and goes back to Russell. Russell says he heard a squishing noise over there, and Blythe goes to check it out. But Russell really wants her to stay with him. 
like you you told her about the noise, Russell. You you made your bed now lie in it. It's the second time I told you this series. So I guess Russell is great at self-sabotage, which is really great because that means any active pursuit he makes uh when it comes to maybe his feelings for Blythe will fail. <laughs> Hopefully, because he just sabotages himself. And that... Okay, I don't... I don't know what I want when it comes to shipping in this show. Frankly, the whole topic in regards to this show is really freaking weird. Like, like, because I've been over this before. But, like, it just comes up. Every so often, it comes up. And there's nothing I can do about it. Because, like, I'm a, I'm a shipper myself. And normally I'd be reveling in this type of uh, ship wall shenanigans. But, like, when it comes to this show, this show it gets very weird very quickly and I don't I don't know what to do with myself I mean as much as I say Gene points it out to me he himself is not a shipper so he doesn't have to worry about this happening although I mean he does purposefully read and watch bad web comics and fan fiction and stuff. So maybe he deals with like bad shipping stuff anyway on a regular basis. So I guess this is that equivalent exchange happening. Oh God, where was I? I'm sorry I keep going on rants about this. It's just... Well, like I said, this is a very, very big target for this. It is the centerpiece of shipping Russell and Blythe, I think. I don't know, actually, because, like... I haven't really seen too many of the later episodes recently because like I'm saving them for this podcast but uh like still I think this might be the centerpiece if anything I could be proven wrong later let's hope I'm not because this episode is rambly as all heck so Blythe finds more puddles and then we go to Russell talking to himself and saying he's determined to face his fears, but he's not. So then we cut back to the alley where Vinny and Sunil keep attempting to get in, not at all concerned with the power outage they just caused, but they keep missing their attempts. So... <laughs> So Sunil thinks to kick Vinny into it, but Vinny goes too high and flies through, like, an apartment and flies through the entire building and ends up on the other side. <laughs> wow, and I thought Russell had super strength. Sunil has super strength on top of Hypno-Eyes clairvoyance and reality warping Sunil is also an omega level mutant why has Professor X not tracked him down Professor X could identify them with Cerebro and know that hey Sunil's good natured and not evil as all heck and hey they need help using their powers but, no. 
Although maybe uh, Professor X stood against the breaking up of New York City and just refuses to go there. Wow. Holy shamoly. Martha Stewart versus Professor X. Which one? <laughs> oh. Oh boy. Uh, where am I? Okay, let's uh let's continue. So uh the electric company truck comes by to fix the transformer and they hide under it. So then Vinny asks Sunil for a flashlight, and Sunil, it turns out, has brought a really small flashlight, and Vinny takes a look around the alley and sees the fire escape. <laughs> Vinny laughs nervously, and Sunil is mad as they agree to use it. So they use the fire escape in Dum Dum Waiter to get back after Penny Link gets down without it. Why did they forget about that? I mean, at least Sunil should remember it, right? So then, Blythe continues to investigate the puddles, while Russell continues to panic. There's a noise, and that noise is Vinny and Sunil breaking through the air vent and falling, with Vinny breaking Sunil's fall. They are covered in dirt, and uh, they decide to put their pajamas on, and Sunil reflects on how they look like dirty circus clowns, in their pajamas and Vinny reminds him that they're supposed to be stealthy so they begin to sneak in to the play area when Vinny steps on a squeaky toy and freaks out which freaks out Sunil and that noise freaks out Russell who hears them screaming after they crash into some fish food Vinny rallies Sunil into finishing their mission while that is happening, a pair of pink tentacles comes down and grabs them, and they start screaming. Russell recognizes that it is Vinny and Sunil, and goes to see why they are here. However, he sees a silhouette of the Lovecraftian hedgehog-eating ghost, and throws his glow stick necklace at it. That glow stick necklace lands atop the figure said, and it is revealed to be an octopus who is confused about being a ghost. Now, something else I wanted to talk about is that this twist is super obvious because of the title. It is called Eight Arms to Hold You, and we're in a show about talking animals. Like, it really, really feels like they should have named it something else. Like, I don't know. Man, I, I actually don't know. Um, I got nothing, actually. I keep trying to think of a play on words for poltergeist. But uh, nothing's coming to me, actually. Sorry about that. But, like, it shouldn't have been eight arms to hold you. That, that made it way too obvious. I knew it was an octopus from the start. Because it said eight arms to hold you. Like, come on. Like, no matter how many Lovecraft ghosts you put in, it's still going to be an octopus at the end. If you're trying to trick me. Like, uh... Wait, this episode takes place on a Friday. I could have, like, called it, like, Friday the 13th? Or something along those lines. I mean... Friday the 8th might be a bit subtle. Because, like, not only do you get, like, the horror ghost elements, but you also get 8 in, which Octopus has 8 legs. So, 
You know what? There's your title. <laughs> anyway. So, uh... Like, Russell is still a bit shaken, and Vinny and Sunil are still freaking out. But then Blythe shines a flashlight on them and sees that it's an octopus, and they all calm down. The octopus explains how he ended up in The Littlest Pet Shop, which is a great story. So he was being driven to the aquarium as a new exhibit, and on his trip he was doing some reading as an octopus in a tank filled with water. Boy, these riders do not know how water physics work. Shall we set it on fire? <laughs> but uh, as the driver is going, who comes from the other side but none other than Roger, who is not focusing on the road because he is focusing on the classics. <laughs> oh, Roger. So the driver veered out of the way, but because the back was open, the octopus fell out. I'm blaming the driver or them on this, because, like, like, you should have a secure back door on your thing. Like, a very, very secure back door. Like, it shouldn't be left open so that, I don't know, your prized octopus falls out? I'm just saying. So then, uh, he was wandering the streets for a lot longer than I thought an octopus could. But, you know, maybe... How long do they need to breathe? Or how long can they not breathe? You know what I mean. I'm starting to get a little tired. That's when the real fun comes in. So, um... Uh, then it started raining heavily, and then uh, he got swept up in the rainwater into the sewers. And there, two alligators tried to eat him, but he escaped into a drain that happened to be to the lowest pet shop. He started eating the food to survive, which Blythe takes as a lucky break. Blythe is going to get Mrs. Tromley to call the aquarium in the morning so that... Uh, Ollie, the octopus, uh, that's his name, can get returned to the aquarium. So then the power comes back on and everyone celebrates. Vinny says that they aren't the people who did it. You know, we certainly aren't the people that did it. Anyway... So then, once the power comes back on, Blythe and Russell insist on getting this party started, and Vinny says, told you it couldn't start without us, but Blythe wants to return Vinny and Sunil home. They get sad and bring on the puppy dog eyes, which convinces Blythe to let them stay for a bit, and play my first formal dance with Russell's rules. So, they're playing it, and Russell's rules are that everyone wins, which seems only fair. Now, I have to agree with Russell. Let's get into some game design theory for a bit. So, a game like this seems fun. It's like an interesting setting for your role-playing game. <laughs> but uh, the game itself, uh, as it is now more so encourages competition between girls to be the prettiest, which is an archaic model by today's standards. Russell's rewritten rules encourages everyone to just have fun and they will all come out on top during their first formal dance, which I believe, like, the original intent is for them to all have fun, but it's put in this competition-y sort of way. So maybe it wasn't, like, the game designers intentionally pitting girls against each other. Maybe it was, like, the game designers didn't take that into account because they were modifying an RPG system where, uh, where you still had to compete. So 
this game's more about having fun and storytelling over competing to see who's the best. So, with that in mind, I fully support Russell's homebrewed version of my first formal dance. So then, Blythe breaks out some balloon animals, and everyone joins in. Vinny attempts to blow his up, but his technique is a little lacking, and Russell discovers that uh, forming balloon animals is a lot harder than it looks. So Blythe makes a rudimentary balloon animal and asks Ollie how he's doing. Ollie shows her the assortment of balloon animals he's made, and that's where the episode ends. So, through most of the episode, they do sort of undermine the possibility of the idea that Russell likes Blythe, but it's, like, front-loaded with that. Like... Like, it has a lot of it at the beginning, but then it just runs out, and by the end, you're not even really thinking about it, but you kind of are, especially if you're doing this podcast like I am, which only really applies to me, but I don't know. It's like, it's still there. It's still a present feature and one that is featured heavily. Like, it's very much there. And I can't ignore it, especially after my friend Gian told me about it, after I showed him an episode. Not this episode, mind you. A later episode. Although I would argue that episode is not as bad when it comes to it. But other than that, it's a fairly enjoyable episode. It's not too crazy and out there. It's a little crazy and out there. It's very fun. And that's the last word I'm going to say on this. So that will be it for today's episode of The Littlest Petcast. Be sure to leave your uh, comments and reviews on Shout Engine, on Apple Podcast, on the Google Play Store, and wherever else RSS feeds go to get their creepy pastas that have animals as the protagonists. And tune in next time for the episode Heart of Parkness. I will see you then.